Thank you, Diane. Good morning, everyone. Please keep that part of the Bible open. If you're following along, we're going to have a look at that and a few other chapters uh, in 1 Corinthians this morning. Excuse me while I get set up a little bit here. All things are lawful for me. That's what the Corinthians said at the start there, isn't it? That's, their de- that's how they describe their freedom. The NIV translates this a little differently. It says, I have the right to do anything. Thank you, James. I was surprised when I looked up the definition of freedom in the dictionary that it was much the same as this. It's basically, I have the right or the ability to do what, to do what I want. I was surprised because it's a stupid definition. It just clearly doesn't work. History has proven time and time again that this definition, definition of freedom actually leads to conflict, oppression, even slavery. It led to slavery in the United States, that great land of the free, which forced many people at the time to grapple with the true meaning of freedom. Not least among them was Abraham Lincoln. Here is a quote from one of his speeches that he made in a fair in 1864. He said, We all declare for liberty or freedom, but in using the same word, we do not all mean the same thing. The shepherd drives the wolf from the sheep's throat, for which the sheep thanks the shepherd as a liberator, while the wolf denounces him for the same act as the destroyer of liberty. Plainly, the sheep and the wolf are not agreed on a definition of the word liberty. This popular definition of freedom was being tested just as it was being tested in our passage today. The Corinthians had embraced their freedoms in Christ, particularly the freedom from the law regarding what they could eat. Christ had shown that there was no longer clean or unclean foods, but all foods were okay, as long as they were received with thanksgiving, which was great news to the Corinthians because they loved their food. But they took this new freedom too far. They assumed their freedom in Christ meant they were free from all the laws, All things are lawful for me, they said. Now, not many Christians today would say they're free from obeying all of God's laws, but many live like they have the right to do whatever they want. Now, maybe that's because they think being in Christ frees them to do whatever they want. Maybe they don't really think about it and they're just living like the rest of the world. But either way, today I intend to prove to you that this is a false idea of freedom not just for the Christian, but for everybody in this world. We're going to do this with three simple experiments. In one sense, this is going to be really easy because it's logically easy to prove. But in another sense, it will be quite hard. We've all lived our whole lives with this false idea of freedom. And I'm afraid it's not something that we're going to give up easily. So to that end, let me pray, and then we'll dive into our first experiment. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of the Corinthians that we can learn from this morning. We do long to understand what it means to live for Christ in this world, what it means to be free in him. So help us to examine our hearts this morning, to uh, humbly submit to your word, to submit to your Holy Spirit and allow him to make any changes within us that are necessary to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to our first experiment. I need two volunteers who I'm going to choose completely at random, Mike and Trish. (laughs) Let my mask go. I'll mask up. Okay, Mike and Trish. 
I have here a present. This, this is what you need to be happy. Inside this box will make you satisfied. Oh, nice try. <laughs> It'll make you satisfied, fulfilled as a person. It's what you've always wanted. You are free to do what you want. Here you go. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. I want it. I want it. I've been good. Look, I wore a clean shirt. You gave it to me because I deserve it. Thank you. Oh, that's not fair. You appreciate it. That's not fair. Thank you, guys. Marriage counselling is next door. <laughs> Apparently, the Crofts are not free to do whatever they want because there was only one box. The biggest problem with this idea of freedom is other people. As long as other people exist, you cannot do whatever you want without causing conflict. So it simply cannot be the right definition of freedom for everyone. I have the right to do whatever I want is the mantra of sin in a fallen world. You see, sin is essentially pride. Pride competes with others. It puts ourselves above others. It builds me up at their expense. In a world of sin, everybody is grabbing. Nobody is giving. But despite its fallen state, this world was created by God. And he created mankind with a purpose in this world. And that purpose was not to serve ourselves, but to worship God and to serve others. To quote Abraham Lincoln again, he'd come to the same conclusion when he said, freedom is not the right to do what we want, but what we ought. In verse 12, if we have a look at our passage today, the Corinthians said, I have the right to do anything. And Paul replies, no, not all things are helpful, or not all things are beneficial. Now, if you've got your Bible this morning, turn with me to chapter 10, where Paul fleshes this out. Chapter 10, verse 23. He says, all things are lawful. The Corinthians are saying it again. Seems sounds familiar, doesn't it? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbour. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you. Don't raise any questions on the ground of conscience. The Corinthians were indeed free to eat whatever they wanted, but their freedom is not about what they could do for themselves. Their freedom is about living out their purpose under God. They were free to do what they ought to do. So Paul goes on. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of their conscience... I do not mean your conscience, but his. What they ought to do in this situation is glorify God and try, if they can, to lead this friend away from their idol worship. And this does not in any way affect their freedom because this is what their freedom is for. And he finishes in verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now think about it. If freedom was the right to do what you want then glorifying God in this situation would be an oppression of their rights. But freedom is not the right to do what you want. It's the ability to do what you ought. Now, I hear what some of you might be thinking. This sounds like a bum deal for the Christian. You've gone from doing what you want to having to serve others. I'll stick with the freedom the world offers, thanks. 
the problem is, like I've already said, this, this freedom isn't true for anyone. You can take it from King Solomon. Solomon was widely regarded by secular historians as the richest person who ever lived in history. Uh, and he devoted most of his life and his vast resources to one massive experiment, an experiment to find meaning and satisfaction in life. And he actually published his results. We have it in our Bibles, the book of Ecclesiastes. He did whatever he wanted. Nothing his heart desired was withheld from him. He built cities. He built gardens. He conquered lands. He set up trade routes. He studied. He wrote. He crafted himself a legacy. He ended up with 700 wives, for goodness sake. Whatever it is you want to do, he did it. And then 699 times more. So what was his conclusion after all of this excess? Well, he found every pleasure lacking. Every accomplishment was pointless. Nothing satisfied or fulfilled him beyond momentary pleasure, and he found no benefit in doing anything other than what he ought to do under God. At the end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he says this, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, some people might call this bleak. I call it liberating. King Solomon tested freedom, and he revealed the lie. The idea that we can do whatever we want keeps us striving for something this world cannot deliver. It keeps us going back to the to the meat grinder of life because we think what we want must be what's going to make us happy. But if Trish opens up that box, there's nothing but a dead frog. <laughs> True freedom. <laughs> no, no returns. That's yours now. True freedom must be able to deliver true satisfaction. And that's only found when we're able to pursue the purpose we were created for, to glorify God and to build up others. Christ frees us to do what we ought when he teaches us to put others above ourselves. As we grow in humility and thankfulness for what we've received in Christ, we're willing to sacrifice our own comforts, even our own rights, for the sake of glorifying God and building others up in Christ. Think about the COVID lockdowns. It was the first time for many of us that this false idea of freedom was challenged. We took it for granted that we had the right to do what we wanted, and then all of a sudden, we were forced instead to do what we ought for the sake of others. Even good and right things, like the right to earn a living, the right to study, our right to gather together as God's family, God-given rights were rightly given up for a time to allow everyone the chance to get vaccinated. We did what we ought to do as citizens of this country. How much more should we be willing to do what we ought to do as citizens of God's kingdom. Now, I know there are still, still some restrictions in place and far too much anxiety and anger over what we can and can't do and what others can and can't do. And so I hesitate with this because I'm afraid I won't get a fair hearing. But I can't help but think that a lot of that anxiety is because we're holding on to this idea of false freedom that we're defending our right to do what we want. But let's not fall back into that mistake. Because the truth is, we are free. We are free to do what we ought, to glorify God and to build one another up in Christ. 
Okay, time for our second experiment. I need another, another volunteer, but to keep things safe, we'll leave you in the, in the audience. Uh, I have two boxes here. These things, again, have something that you want, something you need. Trust me, it's in there this time. May, uh, but there's a catch. Whichever box you choose, opening it will destroy the other box. Lottie, you were the only one to put up your hand. Do you want to choose a box? Just point one out. Good work. I'm going to hold on to it. You can have it back later once it's sterilised. <laughs> we'll keep that box. We're going to destroy that one. The fact is, Lottie didn't have the right to do whatever she wanted. Many of the things that we want in this world are mutually exclusive. Sometimes we have to abandon something we want to pursue something better. That's what Paul's getting at in verse 12. The Corinthians say, I have the right to do anything. And Paul replies to them, no, I will not be dominated by anything. Free from the law, the Corinthians indulged themselves in all manner of sexual pleasure and excess. But in choosing that, they were willingly enslaving themselves to sin. And they were giving up the benefits of their true freedom in Christ. Paul explains the domination of sin in Romans 6 and 7. There's a few verses from Romans 6 will be on the screen. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, submit yourselves to sin and you get shame and death. Submit yourselves to righteousness, and you get sanctification and eternal life. You can't have it both ways. And submit yourself is the right way to describe it, because sin is a personal and active force. Friends, the devil prowls like a roaring lion, always looking for someone to devour. And he doesn't want to give you what you want. He wants to build up evidence against you for the day of judgment. Sin knows you better than you know yourself, and it's a master at drawing you into patterns of behaviour that keep you enslaved to sin. Sin enslaves and dominates because, as King Solomon discovered, it never fully satisfies. It never delivers what was promised. If it did, you'd no longer want to sin. Instead, trying to quench their thirst, the sinner only gets a, a drop of water on their parched tongue, but they eagerly return for more. Now, for the non-Christian, there's no freedom to choose between sin and righteousness. The sinner will always do what they want, and the last thing they want is to glorify God. But for the Christian, well, we've been told we've been set free from sin. So, what does this freedom look like? Well, first of all, just to be clear, let me give you some negatives. Freedom from sin is not freedom from temptation. 
Freedom from sin is not, it's not freedom from a heart that would choose sin. And freedom from sin does not mean that sin is somehow weaker and less able to master us. So positively, freedom from sin has two components. The first is, we are free from the condemnation of sin. The evidence the devil holds against us is no longer admissible in God's courtroom. Mike focused on this last week when he talked to us from Romans 8. But secondly, freedom from sin means we now want two different things. We still greatly desire the pleasures and promises of sin, but we also hate sin. We hate what it does to us. We want to live godly, obedient lives, and we want to be better than our sinful nature. And we can say, as Paul did to the Corinthians, I will not be dominated by anything. Not again. So, with this in mind, what is Paul's advice to the Corinthians regarding their sexual immorality? You'll find it there in verse 18. Flee. Run away. The second you see sexual immorality come around the corner, don't think about it. Don't wait to see what it's offering. Just turn and run. If you know you have trouble around a certain person, make sure you're never alone with them. If you know you don't make good decisions late at night or after a few drinks, don't put yourself in that situation. Flee. Don't think for a second that you can entertain sin just a little bit and remain in control of yourself. Because, if I may paraphrase what Paul says in Romans 7, he says, as a Christian, I want to do the right thing, but it's like a law within me that when sin is aroused, my sinful nature will always do the wrong thing. Sin knows us better than we know ourselves. But freedom in Christ means that we can recognise that, we can flee the promises of sin to choose the better option of sanctification and eternal life. In Proverbs 9.17, the temptress stands in the middle of Jerusalem and she cries out. It says, to those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there. But in John chapter 7, Jesus stood up in the middle of Jerusalem and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The Christian is the only person with free will. The freedom of will to choose between sin and godliness. But remember, this is a mutually exclusive choice. You can't have it both ways. Okay, time for our final experiment. I need one more volunteer. Someone from the back. Come on, Anglicans. Who's the furthest away? Shelley. You can be my volunteer. Okay, you can stay there. Same two boxes. But now, because you're a Christian, they're labelled. You know, one is sin and one is righteousness. I couldn't fit righteousness, so it just says God, but it means the same thing. You are free to choose. But this time, the box you choose is going to be given to Beck. So choose well. Which do you choose? Okay, sorry. God and sin. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure Beck will be happy with that. Thank you. She chose God. <laughs> okay, unlike the previous two experiments, this one is a particularly Christian problem. 
The Christian cannot say, I have the right to do whatever I want because you're not your own person. Let's have a look at the rest of our passage that is before us today in Corinthians from verse 15. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, it's a tricky passage. We don't have time to go into all the details of this passage, but as far as our freedom is concerned, we need to recognise that our choices don't just affect us because we're not our own. We were bought at a price. You see, we were condemned people. Our sinfulness, our choices, put us on death row. And at the time of our execution, God sent his son to die in our place. We now live and breathe because of Christ. When we clung to the cross, we abandoned the idea that we could do whatever we wanted. But more than this, God adopted us into his family, into the body of Christ, with Christ as the head and those believers sitting around you as your brothers and sisters. Our unity to the body of believers is not mere sentimentality. It is as real and mysterious as the union between a man and a woman in marriage. In Romans 6 verse 3, Paul says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So we find ourselves not only saved from the condemnation of sin, but united to Christ, and united so closely that we should consider our old selves crucified, dead and buried. This union to Christ is so strong that Paul's argument to the Corinthians against their sexual immorality isn't about their individual sin. Rather, he says that when they sin in this way, they're dragging the rest of the body down with them. What we do as individuals will have an impact on the body of Christ and will help or hinder its freedom to collectively do what it ought to do under God. So any definition of freedom that we live by must embrace not only ourselves, but the body of Christ along with us. You can think of this like being in a band. Right? If the band's lucky, it's been hired and paid to come along and sing a certain song. It has a purpose. And each individual member of that band must be in tune. If one member's out of tune, then it throws off the whole band. They cannot play their music. Individually, then, each member is going to spend many, many hours caring for their instrument, practising the song on their own to ensure that when the band is able to play together, they can all play the same tune and play it well. In Christ, we enjoy a true freedom to do what we were made for. But we are not our own. In Christ, we're part of something bigger, with a purpose that extends beyond ourselves. We're the temple of God, 
This place is where the world can witness God at work. So, as Paul said, individually we should glorify God with our bodies so that as the body of Christ we can further his purpose of declaring the kingdom of God to a fallen world. Okay, let's quickly review the results of our experiments this morning. I have the right to do whatever I want was not a valid definition of freedom because not everybody can have what they want. This idea of freedom leads only to conflict. Christ gives us true freedom when we no longer need to put our rights above the needs of others and we're free to honour God and to serve others. This is our purpose and it's only in pursuing that purpose that we can find true satisfaction. I have the right to do whatever I want also failed the second test because some of the things that we want are mutually exclusive. Christ frees us from the condemnation of sin and gives us a new heart and now we're the only ones with a free choice. We still want to sin but we also want righteousness. And while choosing righteousness means you need to give up on the empty promises of sin, it also leads you into godliness and eternal life. Finally, I have the right to do whatever I want, failed our third test, because we are not our own person. Seeking to please only ourselves is the sin that led to our death in the first place. Christ freed us from that death and has adopted us into something much bigger than ourselves. Your freedom now not only embraces yourself, but the entire body of Christ and allows us to stand together as the temple of God's Holy Spirit. Nobody on this planet can enjoy the true freedom other than in Christ. If you have it, then friends, let's use it to do what we ought. I'm going to pray to that end. Loving Father, as much as we want to do whatever we want and to to chase uh, our happiness and to exercise our right to do that, uh, help us to realise before we make too many mistakes that that does not lead us to satisfaction that only true satisfaction can be found in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that in Christ we are free to pursue what we ought. Uh, Help us to do that this week. In whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever it is, may we do that for the glory of God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.